Chapter Four of Jeremy and Hamlet by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four: Saladin and the Black Bishop. One. The old town, like human beings, had its moods of excited reminiscence. Why should it not? now brooding now suddenly waking into lightning flashes of dramatic history so that every one in the place scarcely knowing why began to dream of the old days when armoured men fought all the way down the high street and up again and the black bishop rode on his great horse to the edge of the rock where the cloisters now are and saw the beggarly heretics flung over far down into the waters below and the peasants had their fare up on the hill above the pall and were all so bedrunken that they set the town on fire so that three-quarters of it was burnt to the ground in fourteen fifty seven as every one knows and the cathedral itself only saved by a miracle and the meeting of the maidens in the market-place who brought a flag which they had worked to send to monmouth and bridgewater and the last drowning of a witch old mother huckenpinch in the pall in seventeen twenty three and so farther and farther and farther history 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 it lay thick as dust upon the town and only needed a little stirring of the town soil to send the dust up into people's eyes making them think of times dead and gone and ghosts closer still about them perhaps than they had cared to think it must have been during one of these moods of the town that jeremy was caught he was as all readers of these reminiscences of his early days will have discovered a two-sided boy and he had already a strange secret interior life within his very healthy and normal exterior one there is nothing harder perhaps in our own experience than to look back and discover when it was that that secret life was as it were first confirmed and strengthened by something in the real world that corresponded to it for some of us that actual moment was so dramatic so strangely concrete and definite so friendly as though it were some one suddenly appearing out of the dark and speaking to us and showing us that we were not alone either in experience or desire as we had supposed that we cannot possibly forget its precise time and colour with others two or three occasions can claim to have worked the miracle with others again that confirmation was gradual arising out of no definite incident but rather creeping forward like a finger of the rising sun slowly lighting one's path and showing one where to go with jeremy there had been already definite signs his adventure years ago with the sea captain his days on the beach at raphael his friendship with uncle samuel but his actual realization of something strange and mysterious ancient and yet present friendly and yet hostile reassuring and yet terrifying active and yet quiescent his recognition of that life beyond the wall dated quite definitely from his discovery of saladin and his strange adventure in the cathedral as i have already said on that particular week the last week of his christmas holidays the town was up to its tricks had it not been jeremy would surely never have felt the spirit of adventure so strongly never gone into the old bookshop never ah, but you will hear 
he was very quiet and behaving beautifully during that last week yes beautifully until the last three days when the devil who is always on the wait for young gentlemen when they are about to return to school or the town or uncle samuel or something or somebody suddenly got hold of him and led him the strangest dance it must have been the devil that led to the adventure of the night raiders and that is quite another story but again it might have been the old town nobody knows how can anybody know thirty years after it was all over and done with until those last three days jeremy behaved like an angel that is he listened to aunt amy and washed his hands when she told him to he did not tease his little sister barbara nor hide helen's hair ribbons he allowed mary to go walking with him and gave miss jones a present when she returned from her holiday he felt perhaps that as the holidays had begun so awfully with that terrible disaster of the christmas presents it was up to him to see that they ended properly and then he was truly a good little boy who wanted things to go well and everyone to be comfortable and happy only so strangely moods would creep in and desires and ambitions and grown-up people would have such an amazing point of view about boys and misunderstand their natural impulses so dreadfully what he meant was that if he were grown up and had a boy he wouldn't be such an ass the trouble of these last days all began by his suddenly remembering that he had never read his holiday task. He did not remember of himself, but was reminded by Bill Bartlett, whom he met in the high street, who said that the last two days had been miserable for him by having to swat at his rotten holiday task, and that he didn't know anything about it now. Jeremy had completely forgotten his he hurried home and dragged it forth from its deserted corner the talisman a tale of the crusades by sir walter scott baronet it was a horrible-looking book with a dark green cover no pictures and rows of notes at the end jeremy was not as yet a very great reader of anything being slow and lazy about it and very eager to skip the difficult words his favorite two books were Robinson Crusoe and The Swiss Family Robinson, simply because in those books people invented things in a jolly way. And after all, any day one might be on a desert island, and it was useful to know what to do. Of Sir Walter Scott Baronet he had never in his life heard, nor did he wish to hear of him. Nevertheless, something must be done old thompson took holiday tasks very seriously indeed jeremy's report last term had not been a very good one and father's eye was upon him his first idea was that he would get uncle samuel to tell him the story but when he showed his uncle the book that gentleman waved his paintbrush in the air and said that walter was a fine old gentleman who died game but a rotten writer and it was a shame to make kids wade through his abominable prose there was then no hope here jeremy looked at the book read half a page and then threw it at hamlet but the stern truth of the matter was that in such a matter as this and indeed in most of the concerns of his daily life he resembled a spy working his way through the enemy's camp surrounded on every side by foes compelled to consider every movement doomed to death and dishonor if he were caught 
it had come to it now that there was in practical fact nothing that he desired to do that he was not forbidden to do and because his school life had given him rules and standards that did not belong to his home life he criticized at every turn there was for instance this affair of walking in the town by himself he could understand that helen and mary should not go by themselves because there was apparently something mysterious and precious in girls that was destroyed were they left alone for a single moment but a boy a boy who had travelled by himself all those miles to a distant county a boy who in all probability would be the half-back for the school next term a boy who in another two years would be at a public school what it came to of course was that he was continually giving his elders the slip was indeed like the spy in the enemy's country because every move had to be considered and at the end all the excuses ranged in a long row and the most serviceable carefully chosen and threadbare by now they were becoming on this particular afternoon the first of the last three days of the holidays he gave miss jones and helen the slip in the market-place this was to-day easy to do because it was market-day he knew that helen was too deeply concerned with herself and her appearance to care whether he were there or no and that miss jones delighted as she always was with the shops knowing them by heart and yet never tired of them would optimistically trust that he would very soon reappear and at any rate he knew his way home he was always delighted with the market on market days never although so constantly repeated did it lose its savour for him he adored everything the cattle and the sheep in their pens the farmers with their thick broad backs and thick broad sticks talking in such solemn and serious clusters the avenue down the middle of the market-place where you walked past stall after stall stalls of vegetables stalls of meat stalls of cups and saucers stalls of china ornaments stalls of pots and pans and best far best of all the flower stalls with their pots of beautiful flowers their seeds and their tiny plants growing in rows in wooden boxes but it was not the outside market that was the most truly entrancing on the right of the market-place there were strange mysterious passages known to the irreverent as the catacombs and here in a dusk that would you would have supposed have precluded any real buying or selling altogether the true business of the market went on it was here under these dark ages that in his younger days the toy-shop had enchanted him and even now although he would own it to no one alive the trains and the air-guns seemed to him vastly alluring there was also a football too small for him not at all the football that he wanted to buy but nevertheless better than nothing at all he looked at it the price was eight and sixpence and he had in his pocket precisely fivepence halfpenny he sighed fingered the ball that was hanging in mid-air and it revolved round and round in the most entrancing manner the old woman with a moustache who had it was reputed ever since the days of genesis managed the toy-shop besought him in wheedling tones to purchase it he could only sigh again look at it lovingly twirl it around once more and pass on 
he was in that mood when he must buy something an entrancing delicious and intoxicating mood a mood that helen and mary were in all the time and would continue to remain in it like the rest of their sex until the end for them of purses money and all earthly hopes and ambitions next to the toy stall was a funny old bookstall always hitherto he had passed this not that it was uninteresting because the old man who kept the place had coloured prints that he stuck with pens into the wooden sides of his booth and these prints were delightful funny people in old costumes coaches stuck in the snow or a number of stout men tumbling about the floor after drinking too much but the trouble with mr samuel porter was that he did not change his prints often enough being as any one could see a man of lazy and indifferent habits and when jeremy had seen the same prints for over a year he naturally knew them by heart on this particular day however old mr samuel had changed his prints and there were some splendid new ones in purples and reds and greens representing skating on the ice going up in a balloon an evening in vauxhall and the fun of the fair jeremy stared at these with open mouth especially at the fun of the fair which was most amusing because in it a pig was running away and upsetting everybody just as it might quite easily do here in the market-place he stood looking and mr porter who wore a faded green hat and large spectacles and hated little boys because they never bought anything but only teased him and ran away looked at him out of the corner of his eye and dared him to be cheeky he had no intention whatever of being cheeky he stared at the books all so broken and old and melancholy and thought what a dreary thing having to read was and how unfortunate about his holiday task and how silly of him to have thought of it just at that moment and so spoiled his afternoon he would then have passed on had it not been by the strangest coincidence that at that very instant his eye fell on a little pile of books at the front of the stall and the book on the top of the pile had the very name of his holiday task the talisman by sir walter scott baronet it was the strangest looking book very different indeed from the book at home he stared at it as though it was a lucky charm how strange that it should be there and appearing so oddly different from the book at home it was dressed in shabby and faded yellow covers he picked it up on the outside he read in large letters stead's penny classics penny could it be that this book was only a penny why if so he could buy it and four others like it this sudden knowledge gave him a new proprietary interest in the book as when you discover that a stranger at an hotel lives when at home in your own street opening the little book he saw that the print was very small indeed that the lines were crooked and irregular here very black and there only dim grey but in the very fact of this faint print there was something mysterious and appealing no notes here of course and no undue emphasis on this scott baronet man simply the talisman short and sweet old mr porter observing the unusual sight of a small boy actually taking a book in his hands and reading it was interested he had seen the small boy often enough 
and although he would never admit it to himself had liked his look of sturdy independence and healthy self-assurance he had not thought that the boy was a reader he leaned forward only a penny he wheezed he suffered terribly from asthma and the boys of the town used to call after him old barrel organ and just the story for a boy like you i'll have it said jeremy with sudden pride he was of half a mind to buy some of the others he saw that one more was by scott baronet but no he would see now this one before he ventured any farther he walked off with his prize two that night he did what he had never done before he read in bed he was doing as he well knew what was absolutely forbidden and the novelty of the event the excitement of his disobedience the strange wobbly light that the candle flung as it shifted when his movements were very impetuous in its insecure china saucer the way the lines of the printed page ran tumultuously together all these things helped his sense of the romantic he had found every line a difficulty in the other edition now the sense of indulging the forbidden carried him across the first page or two and then he was fairly inside it the little book was very difficult to read not only was it vilely printed but also the words ran in a kind of cascade down into the very binding of the book and you had to pull the thing apart as wide as it would go and then peer into the very depths of darkness and obscurity nevertheless it was his book bought with his own money and he read and read on and on and in the morning he read again and in the evening and on the fourth day late in the night the candle very low in its china socket the room lit with sudden flashes of bizarre brilliance the book was finished three he was dazzled bewildered he could think of nothing else at all the very first meeting of the knights in the desert had marvelously caught his fancy he had never imagined anything like that so courteous so amiable and so fierce just so would he entertain the dean's earnest did he meet him in the desert sharing his food and drink with him complimenting him on his armor and his horse he would be very showy would the dean's earnest and the next day sticking his spear through his vitals yes that would be intensely pleasing but the trouble would be that the dean's earnest would most certainly not play fair but would seize some mean advantage steal all jeremy's dates when he wasn't looking or give him one in the back then the visit to the hermit's cave and the silence of the chapel and the procession of the wonderful ladies and the dropping of the rose at sir kenneth's feet from that point forward jeremy dwelt under enchantment nothing could take him from it and he believed every word of it just as true to him these men and deeds of the eastern desert as were the men and deeds of orange street Polchester. truer indeed he never quite believed in uncle samuel and aunt amy and barbara but in sir kenneth and king richard and edith and saladin how could he not utterly believe saladin his was the figure that ultimately emerged from the gilded background of the picture saladin he became at once jeremy's ideal of everything that was beautiful and like a man and brave 
he haunted jeremy's dreams he followed him in his walks came before him as he ate and drank he must know more about him than scott baronet told you and once again uncle samuel was sought jeremy had formed a habit now of dropping into uncle samuel's studio whenever it pleased him the other children watched him with eyes of wonder and desire even aunt amy was surprised she said a little but sniffed a lot and told her brother that he would regret the day he laughed and told her that jeremy was the only artist among the lot of them at which aunt amy went to jeremy's father and told him to be careful because her brother was filling the child's head with all sorts of notions that could do him no possible good jeremy behaved like a saint in his uncle's studio he had his own corner of the shabby sofa where he would sit curled up like a dog he chattered on and on pouring out the whole of his mind heart and soul keeping nothing back because his uncle seemed to understand everything and never made you feel a fool he attacked him at once about saladin and would not let him alone in vain uncle samuel protested that he knew no history and that saladin was a colored devil as wicked as sin and jeremy stuck fast to his ideal so that at length uncle samuel in sheer self-defence was compelled to turn to a subject about which he did know something namely the history of the town polchester in which they were living never to any living soul had uncle samuel confided that he cared in the least about the old town in his heart nevertheless he adored it and for years had he been studying its life and manners to his grave his knowledge would have gone with him had not jeremy in the secrecy of the studio lured him on then as though they were dram drinking together did the two sit close and talk about the town and under the boy's eyes the streets blossomed like the rose the fountains played the walls echoed to the cries and shouts of armoured men and the cathedral towers rose ever higher and higher gigantic majestic wonderful piercing the eternal sky best of all he liked to hear about the black bishop that proud priest who had believed himself greater than the high god had defeated all his enemies lived in the castle on the hill above the town like a king and was at last encircled by a ring of foes caught in the cathedral square and died there fighting to the end jeremy would never forget one afternoon when he sat on the floor his head against the shabby sofa and uncle samuel who was doing something to his paint-box became carried away with the picture of his story he drew for jeremy the old town with the gabled roofs and the balconies and the cobbled roads and the cathedral so marvellously alive above it all as he talked the winter sun poured into the room in a golden stream making the whitewashed walls swan colour turning some old stuffs that he had hanging over the door and near the window into wine-red shadow and purple light and the trees beyond the high windows were stained copper against the dusky sky uncle samuel's voice stopped and the room slided into grey 
jeremy stared after him and saw saladin and the black bishop gigantic figures hovering over the town that was small and coloured like a musical box the cathedral was a new place to him no longer somewhere that was tiresome and dreary on sunday and dead all the rest of the week he longed to go there by himself alone nobody to see what he would do and hear what he would say he would go he would go he nodded to himself in the dark four all very well but he must be quick about it if these holidays were to see him bring it off only three days then aunt amy announced that she intended on this fine afternoon to pay a call on miss nightingale who lived in the precincts and to her great surprise jeremy suggested that he should accompany her she was rather flattered and when it was discovered that miss jones and helen were also going that way and would pick jeremy up and bring him home she agreed to the plan jeremy and she were old old enemies he had insulted her again and again played jokes upon her had terrible storms of temper with her but once when a wretched little boy had laughed at her he had fought the little boy and she had never forgotten that as he grew older something unregenerate in her insisted on admiring him he was such a thorough boy so sturdy and manly she adored the way that his mouth went up at the corners when he laughed she liked his voice when it was hoarse with a serious effort to persuade somebody of something then although he had so often been rude to her she could not deny that he was a thorough little gentleman in all that she meant by that term his manners when he liked could be beautiful quite as good as helen's and much less artificial if you cared for boys at all which aunt amy must confess that she did not then jeremy was the sort of boy to care for she had in fact both a family and an individual pride in him he was very funny to-day walking up the high street she could not understand him at all would you jump aunt amy if you suddenly saw the black bishop on his coal-black horse with his helmet and suit of mail riding along down the high street the black bishop what black bishop was the boy being impertinent to dear bishop crozier whose hair was in any case white who had certainly never ridden a coal-black horse jeremy carefully explained oh the one in the cathedral oh but he was dead and buried long ago yes but if he should come to life he was strong enough for anything what an idea she couldn't think where the boy got those strange irreligious ideas from from her brother samuel she supposed the dead don't come back like that jeremy dear she explained gently how do you do miss mackenzie oh much better thank you it was only a little foolish toothache it isn't right of us to suppose they do god doesn't mean us to i don't believe god could stop the black bishop coming back if he wanted to said jeremy aunt amy would have been terribly shocked had she not seen a most remarkable hat in forrest's window that was only thirteen and eleven what did you say dear with a little bit of blue at the side oh but you mustn't say that dear that's very wicked god can do everything 
saladin didn't believe in god said jeremy winking at tommy winchester who was in charge of his mother on the other side of the street at least not in your god or father's his god oh there's mrs winchester take off your hat jeremy i'm sure it's going to snow before i get back perhaps miss nightingale will be out and i'm sure i shan't be sorry you mustn't say that jeremy there's only one god but if there's only one god he began then broke off at the sight of a dog strangely like hamlet not so nice though not nearly so nice he was returning to his consideration of the deity the black bishop and saladin when behold they were already in the precincts now you'll be all right jeremy dear won't you just for a minute or two miss jones can't be long all right of course he would be all right if you like to wait here and just see perhaps miss nightingale won't be in and then we could go back together no he thought he wouldn't wait because he had promised miss jones who would be on the other side of the cathedral very well then he watched his aunt ring miss nightingale's very neat little doorbell and saw her then admitted into miss nightingale's very neat little house at that moment the cathedral chimes struck a quarter past four he stepped across the path, pushed up the heavy leather flap of the great door, and entered. Afternoon service, which began at half-past three, was just ending. Some special saint's day, far, far away in the distance, the canon's voice beautifully echoed. The choir responded, The peace of God that passes all understanding, passeth all understanding, passeth all understanding repeated the thick pillars and the high-arched roof, dove-coloured now in the dusk, and the deep black-stained seats. Passeth all understanding, all understanding. The flagstones echoed deep, deep into the ground. The organ rolled into a voluntary. White flecks of colour splashed for a moment against the screen and were gone. Two or three people, tourists probably, came slowly down the nave, paused for a moment to look at the garrison window with the Christ and the little children, and went out through the west end door. The organ rolled on, the only sound now in the building. Jeremy was suddenly frightened. Strange that a place which had always seemed to him the last word and commonplace should now terrify him. It was different, alive moving in the heart of its shadows whispering he walked down the side aisle looking at every tablet every monument every window with a new interest the aliveness of the church walked with him it was as though as he passed them they gathered themselves and followed in a long grey silent procession after him he reached the side chapel where was the tomb of the black bishop there he lay safely enclosed behind the golden grill his gauntleted hands folded on his chest his spurs on his heels angels supporting his head and grim defiance in his face jeremy stared and stared and stared again about him and around him and above him the cathedral seemed to grow vaster and vaster clouds of dusk filled it the colour from the windows and the tombs and the great gold trumpeting angels stained the shadows with patches of light jeremy was cold and shivered he looked up and there opposite him standing on the raised steps leading to the choir was the black bishop 
he was there just as jeremy had fancied him standing his legs a little apart one mailed fist resting on his sword his thick black beard sweeping his breastplate he was staring at jeremy and seemed to be challenging him to move the boy could only stare back some spirit in him seemed to bid him remember that this was true whatever soon might disprove it that the past was the present and the present the past that nothing ever died that nothing must frighten him because it survived and that he must take his share in his inheritance all that he really thought was i wonder if he'll come nearer but he did not jeremy himself moved and suddenly the whole cathedral stirred the mist breaking steps sounding on the flags voices echoing no figure was there only shadow but here was that horrid fat man the precentor who sometimes came to their house to tea why my boy what are you doing here he asked in his big superior voice i came in said jeremy still staring at the steps of the choir just for a moment the precentor put his hand on jeremy's shoulder that's right my lad he said study our great church and all its history you cannot begin too young father well and mother well yes said jeremy looking back behind him as he turned away oh but his face had been fine so strong like a rock his sword had shone and his gauntlets how tall he had been and how mighty his chest that's right that's right remember me to them when you get home you must come up and play with my little girls one of these afternoons i'm going back to school jeremy said day after tomorrow well well that's a pity that's a pity another day perhaps good day to you good day chanting he went along and jeremy stood outside the cathedral staring about him lights were blowing in the wind the dusk was blue and gray the air was thick with armored men marching in a vast procession across the sky the wind blew they flashed downwards in a cloud wheeling up into the sky again as though under command the air cleared the huge front of the cathedral was behind him and before him under the precinct's lamp was miss jones and helen why jeremy where have you been we've been looking for you everywhere we're just going home come on jeremy growled it's late End of chapter four